to be the first to remind you next Sunday is Father's Day. So, you know, go make sure you get your father what he's looking for. My kids aren't in the room, so I was just trying to help bless some of you all. Hey, open the Bible, open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 15. As I was um, just preparing and praying and saying, okay, Lord, I've got one more sermon to write before my sabbatical. And what is it you want me to uh, talk to the church about before I kind of am absent for eight weeks? And, you know, it was an incredibly hard sermon to write. Uh, I think three or four times I went into my vast array of sermons and said, I'll just pull one out and preach that. Because, you know, I've been doing this for a little while. And, uh, and every time I did, in fact, I, I even have one saved. I'm like, I went to it as late as Thursday going, that'll work. And the Lord said, no, it won't. I go, okay, Lord, all right, all right. Uh, so as I, uh, I, just as I was meditating and went going through it, um, I think it's important that before we read the scripture, you understand uh, Paul's premise for writing the entire book of Romans. And Paul is in a place where uh, he has uh, uh, done the majority of his career. It's later in his career. He's not in prison, it's later in his career. And uh, he is... Uh, writing to the church in Rome, and the, the church had existed for some time. And the church was made up of both Christian Jews and Gentiles. But what you find in Acts chapter 18 is that the, the emperor Claudius expelled all Jews from Rome. And, and so it wasn't just Christian Jews, but it was all Jews were expelled from Rome. And they were uh, they were really gone from Rome for five years. Well, the leadership of the Church of Rome didn't stop. It was just ran by Gentiles, which when the Romans or when the Jews came back, the Christian Jews came back, they weren't exactly happy with the way the Gentiles were leading the church of that day. They wanted to make sure that if you were a Christian male, you had to get the snip snip. They wanted everyone circumcised. If you were, if you were um, one who actually liked having pork chops, they wanted to change that. And so what, what happened was there was this tension, or the church, you might even say, was fractured when Paul is getting ready to write the church of Rome. Because he understood that the, the, the Jesus communities of Rome had a significant amount of tension because they were so different in not just their ethnic backgrounds, but their practices in their walk with the Lord as well. And so for, for Paul, he wrote the entirety of Romans to bring a people who were profoundly different in, in, in theology and in practice and in culture together in a unified place. Now, I'm here to tell you that Bethel's not fractured. But, what, but what, what Bethel is, is a very different community. It, we're different in the fact that we have, uh, in our midst, we have uh, people from the generation that were builders. We have the generation who are the boomers. We have the generation which is the Gen X. We have millennials, which, by the way, is not a curse word. Uh, we, have, we have Generation Y, and we even have Generation Z. On top of that, we have people that are from uh, significantly back, different backgrounds from around the world. We have people who are from South Africa, and we have people who are from Puerto Rico. We have people who are from Guatemala. We have people who are from South Korea. 
And so as I'm praying, the Lord is saying that there is a characteristic of the optimistic church that allows people to live in unity with each other. And that's what Paul's writing about. So let's read the first 13 verses of chapter 15 here. Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... And hope, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ came a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit so, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like this last portion of this scripture, this last sentence. It's a prayer that Paul is praying um, as he's writing this letter. I want us to just say this out loud together. Will you do that with me? Let's just read it together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, here's the truth I want you to connect with uh, today, and it's simply this. Hope is the driving force behind Christian unity. Hope is the driving force behind Christian uh, unity. A hopeful people is a unified people. A hopeful people, hopeful people are harmonious people. But there are signs of people who lack hope. There are, there are indicators that you, can, that you can look and see in relationships where you can, where if you're not careful, you would you'd attest it to other things. But the reality, the heart, the core of it is simply they lack hope. It's simply this. If you come across somebody who is a controlling person, they lack hope. If you come across a person who is a boastful person, they lack hope. If you come across people who are fearful, they lack hope. Angry people just lack hope. 
People who lack hope, they tend to be depressed. You also find that people who are the me first, they lack hope. And let's face it, we live in a world that is going to do everything it can to still our hope. We live in just a crazy day. I mean, in all the years and all the times I've said that, I don't think it's ever been more true than the day in which we live. In fact, I saw a video done by Saturday Night Live on our current headlines. Because, you know, we have anything from, you know, uh, shortages to the, to the baby formula to, you know, Roe versus, Roe, uh, Roe versus Raid being potentially overturned. And this is what they said. They said that today's headlines in 2022 is nothing more than a voiceover for Mad Max. For those of you that have seen that movie. Because the year is 2022 and a virus rages across the planet. Digital money has collapsed. Infants have nothing to eat. Women are forced to breed. Men are ready to die for gasoline. And so if that's where our focus is at, we're going to be a people that really lack hope. But four times you find in the scripture, Paul uses the word hope. And when we have this, and I'm going to make a very important statement, when we have biblical hope, we have a sustaining power and are encouraged regardless of the headlines. And what result of that is we end up being a people who live in a place of harmony. It doesn't mean that we're all alike. Think of it a little bit like an orchestra. An orchestra that is that is playing, you have all these different instruments, but because they are on the same pitch, they, they're on the same kind of uh, assortment of notes, they come together and sound as one. When we live with full of hope, this is what the church becomes. Paul said that when we are full of hope, what do we do with one voice? With one voice, we glorify our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the beautiful thing that you find, is that when we, when we are with one voice glorifying God, lifting up God, recognizing His power, His might, His brilliance, His greatness, His eternal nature, then He's the one that is up. And so we invite people into His glory. Hope allows me to not try to get glory on my own, but invites people into His glory. So how exactly is your hope meter? Is it good? Are you full of hope? Are you abounding in flow, hope? Are you over, overflowing with hope? Or do you find yourself empty of hope? Because there's this, there's this primal feeling that every human being has. It's a feeling that there has to be something more than what we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can hear. And so as a person comes and they turn to Jesus and they experience Jesus, there is a hope that is deposited for them that, as we sang about earlier, becomes an anchor. It's that experience of the reality of Jesus that, that we are hopeful for, that we've received, and yet not in full, because we live in the now and not yet, that ends up being the driving force of our unity. 
And we live in a day since post-COVID where people are at a crisis of faith and are extremely disappointed in church. They, they had this idea of hope before COVID that, well, in the middle of COVID, they went, wait a minute, that didn't work. They had placed so much of their, their hope in the assembly of people that when the assembly of people couldn't happen, they just never came back to it at all. You may be here where you have this, this crisis of faith, where you are you are struggling with or challenged with what we would call church. And so your tendency is to separate. Your tendency is to push away or to push back because you, you, you're, you see all of the negatives. You see all of the bad. You see all of the shortcomings. And you say, well, that doesn't bring me anything. And so even by the actions of the separating, you are declaring that you are part of the problem. Because the church has, for some time, been misdirected and misunderstood in the core of what it actually is. So here's what I want to do. I want every person to... I thought it was interesting you used a hand analogy. My whole sermon now, from now on, is going to have to do with a hand. You should put your hand out here like this. Hope is an empty hand that believes it's going to be filled with something. That's what hope is. Faith, in, in, in biblical hope, is, is connected with faith. So here's my, here's my hope. Faith says, Jesus is going to fill my hand. And so when, when as believers, as followers of Jesus, because it, I'm telling you, this hope thing, it's a primal thing. Every person feels it. Every person desires it. Every person wants it. But we understand that we've received it in part. But, but we, we, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world with problems and challenges. So we hope for the coming of Jesus Christ. We hope for his rule and reign. We hope for him to make all things right. That's the basis, that's the essence of us as Christians walking around with our hands out. And while so many people are in a, in a place of, of crisis of faith, it's because they, they, they tend to believe the wrong thing. They're hoping for things that God never intended to be put into your hand. So someone tells you along the way that all you got to do is pray and God will take care of you. God does not promise that we will not have trouble in this world. In fact, it's quite opposite. In this world, we will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So when the world seems to be overcoming me, I look to the heavens and say, Jesus, I'm looking for you to come and fill my heart, to fill my hand with, this with what this world will not do. We live in a day where, where people uh, have, have been uh, believing the gospel that is a, a, a gospel that is a prosperity gospel. Let me tell you something. Any gospel that only works in America is not a biblical gospel. You can't take that kind of gospel to the slums of Hermosillo, Mexico, and say, here, you just, just give that 25 cents that you have, and God will turn it into a dollar. 
And so because of our lack of maturity in who Jesus is, we end up walking around with our hands out because we do have this internal instinct, this desire to have hope being fulfilled, but we end up having hope being disappointed, which is why Paul is dealing with that in the church of Rome. Because the Jews are coming back with a hope of the way church is going to be. Whether the communities of Jesus is going to be expressed and walked out and lived out. And they were disappointed. The Gentiles were going, hey, we had it good for the last five years before you guys got back. And so they knew they were coming back. And they all of a sudden, they filled their hands with a hope that said, this is the way it's going to be. But let me tell you something. If you desire more than anything... To have Jesus in your hand, you're not going to be disappointed. It doesn't matter if you lose your job tomorrow. It doesn't matter if you lose your health tomorrow. It doesn't matter if you lose your spouse tomorrow. If Jesus is the one that your hand is out for, he by his spirit is going to take you through that. He's going to help you in that moment to live with a, a form of optimism that this world cannot give because it has nothing truly to offer. So here's the, you, you kind of begin to examine this portion of Scripture. This is kind of where you begin to grow uh, in this hope. And I think this is ultimately what is required for, for this hope to be fully expressed. And it starts with the crucified life. Paul, at the very beginning, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now again, hand out in front of you. The crucified life in this context is removing everything in your life that attempts at its core to satisfy this life. Because you understand that as long as I am carrying the things of this life in my hand, I am taking up the space that Jesus wants to occupy. And so that's what was taking place in the church of Rome. Everybody had an idea that they had held on. Their difference, their culture, their way of doing things. And Paul is ultimately saying that you have to, you have to crucify that thing that you're holding on to. One of the things that makes hope a unifying force in the body of Christ. And, and whether it's a, a Sunday morning expression or it's a, an expression of, of, a, of a life group or it's an expression of just getting together, just enjoying one another's company, is that when you, when you have an open hand that only can be filled with the Lord, then you have a free hand to help those who can't. And so that only happens when you're willing to put something to death so you have that open hand. Say amen if you understand that. And what that does is it moves us to a place where we now are looking to live constructive lives. Now that my hand's free, now that I don't have to, to work constantly for the me, now that I've, now that I've, I've crucified that for him, now I'm freed to actually make unity a part of life. Paul goes on in verse 2, he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. You notice 
notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, and this, this is, to me, this is, encapsulates the American church right now. He doesn't say this. You, please your neighbor. We, we've done, you know, what's happened in our own form of spirituality where our hope is in ourselves, then what we do is we get to a place where we think other people have to do. But he says, let us. He doesn't separate himself from anybody else. He recognizes that he's there to contribute. He's there to help. So let us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus was able to go to the cross and take on all of our sin because of his spiritual strength and hope in the Father. He knew that when he went to the cross, it wasn't the end. He hoped and had a significant amount of faith that that hope of resurrection would be fulfilled. That faith allowed him to walk with hope, knowing that the place that he left, that he had, where he had sat before the foundation of the world, he would end up back in that same place. And so he lived a life where he said, my strength is not for my status, but my strength is for service. And, in, and when you have a bunch of people who are so full of hope, they're not looking to get a status update from you and I. They're looking at different ways to serve and to care and to bring life in the areas that we lack. So the optimistic church is always looking for opportunities to help one another. And, and I'm, I'm really confident when I, when I think about being away for eight weeks that, listen, you guys are awesome. You look for ways to help one another. So don't stop. Look for more ways. I, as I was working with uh, the, uh, the greeters, uh, the moment I talked to our lead graders, they're like, whatever you need us to do. There was this desire. It's because, it, because they were uh, living with hope that everything that they did didn't have to be rewarded in the moment. It didn't have to receive the accolades or the money or the whatever it is in the moment because every act of service is done for the glory of God. And so their trust and their hope is in Jesus alone. So I want to finish up with this go, and actually, it's, it's not a lot. But it starts simply by us beginning to ask and hope. Now, I want you to think if the times that you're angry or that you're feeling kind of glum, you're, you, you find yourself being critical, you find yourself, uh, you know, wanting people to notice you so, uh, so that you might be able to get the credit that you want. When you ask and hope, you are declaring that Jesus will fulfill whatever it is that your heart is longing for. And so you just simply say, Jesus, I know so-and-so is being a knucklehead. But Lord, you, you have something better for me. Yeah, that person never seems to notice the, the nice things that I do for him. That person never seems to... to uh, uh, recognize that it's not just their political view, but Jesus, 
my hope isn't in politics. My hope is in you. And as we do that more and more, we find that it becomes easier to act in hope. Now we find ourselves in a place where we are acting in a way that is welcoming people, not just into the glory of God on a Sunday morning. Please get this. I think it's great, the, 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 the loving uh, the relationships that happen here on a Sunday, but the, the reason is it happens on a Sunday is because more of it's happening Monday through Saturday. And so it's, it's just a bunch of people who have already kind of come into the glory of God together. We come together, and there's just a dynamic of relationship that other people see. But I want to I challenge you that as, you know, certainly the weather has said it's now summer, and people are going to go off and do their different things. But, but when you're not off doing your different things, look outside of your peeps. Look outside of your normal group and give opportunity to invite into deeper relationship, maybe with somebody that's a different age from you, somebody who's a different background than you, and recognize that what you're doing is you're acting in hope. That every time I am in a relationship with somebody that somebody's different, that's different than me, Jesus is going to recognize that. And in heaven, Jesus is going to go, yep, that's my life. That's what I look like. Or, or you just or you take an opportunity to learn something about them. Or, or even find different ways of expressing the beauty of Jesus in their life. Because that's one thing that I find that when I pray and hope, Jesus has an incredible ability to cause me to see the Jesus in other people. But we also have to abide in hope. And by abide in hope, here's what I mean. Think of it this way. There are two villages in the mountains that, that, uh, um, that have water source. And, and the first village, the water source comes from a, a little brook or a stream of water that comes from the mountains as the snow melts. So during the spring and during the early summer, that water is rushing pretty good as that snow melts. But as the summer goes along, all of a sudden, the water starts to trickle. And as that water starts to trickle, they find themselves beginning to have anxiety and uncertainty of where they're going to get the refreshing water that they need. Now that, to me, is a good part of people who say they are Christians. They just get to a church, get into a meeting, watch something online, watch something on TV that's coming from the source of the mountain. But when you get to the time where now you're in difficulty. At District Council, I had an opportunity to uh, start visiting with a pastor whose wife had a stroke three weeks ago, didn't know it happened. And I just had made a comment to him, uh, as, as pastors, and you're going to find this true about you too, is that it's always easier to have faith for someone else. When, when, the times, when the times like that first village where now it's, it's the, the, the source seems to be getting thin, the emotions are really high, and you got your hand out, and you're starting to wonder. But the second village, it has an artesian well. And that artesian well stuck right in the middle of the town. And that artesian well is constantly flowing. The life of Christ in your and I's life is intended to be the artesian well. We're constantly, we're coming back to the Lord, and we're able to drink of the nutrition, of the, the life-sustaining power that water would give. We drink that from Jesus Christ. So we are able to constantly live, constantly abide in hope. 
So now when I'm, when I'm, when I'm not sure about eternity, as Rex said earlier, we go, wait a minute. The Lord says, you are in me. My salvation is not in you, but it's in me. And so I keep centered on him. And, and now, all of a sudden, Jesus says, yeah, I am in your hand. I'm the one who will save you. I'm the one that accepted you. I'm the, your, you are my, my beloved. I am your sufficiency. I am your security. I am your freedom. And more and more, what you find is that you are abiding in this, in this hope more and more. And the beauty of it, and here's where we're going to finish, the beauty of it is that ultimately we abound in hope. And this, and I want you to get this, this is ultimately where unity happens. When the followers of Jesus abound in hope. So what did Paul say again? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That word abound just has to do with overflowing. And here's, here's the image that the Lord took me to as I was just pondering this. It's, it's back in the book of Leviticus. The, they're told that when it comes to their vineyards, they are to go through and they're supposed to pick all the grapes only once. And the reason they're only to do it once is so that those that are impoverished, those who are poor, those who don't own a vineyard, might be able to come and get the ones off the ground, get the ones here and there for themselves. When the body of Christ, when you and I abound in hope, there are always going to be people in our life, whether it's at work, whether it's in our, it's in our small groups, whether it's in, on church on Sunday, that they are impoverished when it comes to hope. But when they're around people who are abounding in hope, they can't help but receive from those people. And here's the beauty, and I, I just think this is what the Lord desires for the Christian people, that we have such an uh, overwhelming sense of hope that we live with consistently, that we are overflowing and we are surrounded with people who are receiving of the hope of Jesus through us. So that we can, with our open hands, say to those who are around us with open hands, it's time to to move away from a life that occasionally comes to the water. I want to help you have that water come from within so that you're flowing with living water and your, your hand is constantly and completely filled with hope. And so, Lord, help us. We ask that you would, as Paul said, fill us with hope, with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of your spirit may abound in hope through us. Boy, so just put your hand out before the Lord, just every eye closed and every head bowed before the Lord. I think even as I talked earlier about the, the crucified life, the Lord began to prompt you about the things that he wants you to, to crucify. And just as an act of before the Lord, I just encourage you to turn your hand over and say, Lord, I dropped that. I drop that. I drop that. I drop it. Every time, Lord, I try to pick it up, Lord, by your spirit, help me drop it again. That, Lord, I might, Lord, uh, live this crucified life so that, Lord, now, Lord, I might be able to be constructive in the relationships around. The casual relationships and the close relationships. That I, Lord, might abound in hope. 
for the people who are impoverished around me. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.